What's happening, Cryptoland? My name is Phil. This is the Fun with Crypto podcast. We are in season two, and this is episode 28. So I want to thank everybody for joining us. We're in the middle of the summer, and the weather's gorgeous, and I'm actually taking some time off. So this is a uh, this is a recording that I did prior to my vacation with uh, none other than Durjiji, the writer of the 21 Lessons for Bitcoin. Anyways, I post a link to his uh, his website in the show notes and, of course, his contact information. Uh, it was really, really great to talk to him. He's another person that all obviously extremely intelligent, but also, you know, philosophical and totally out there as well. And I, I just, I really had a fun time talking with him. He's a super cool guy. And uh, I really hope you guys, uh, I hope you guys enjoy this, uh, this interview slash discussion. So without further ado, here is my talk with Durjiji. All right, Cryptoland, we've got a really interesting guest. He wrote the uh, the 21 Lessons, and he's got a whole bunch of other really interesting articles. Um, I, that's actually how I got to know him was through Citizen Bitcoin's podcast, where they actually went through all 21 Lessons, which is a really, really incredible uh, two-hour-plus podcast, which totally dives in. So we're not going to do this with uh, with Durjiji. Instead, we're going to take a little bit of a different path for the uh, for the Fun with Crypto podcast listeners, and um, we're going to see where this rabbit hole tumbles. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce uh, the writer of 21 Lessons, Durjiji. Thank you so much for coming on my show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. And um, yeah, let's see where this goes. I really like the pod. Also <laughs> like the name Fun with Crypto. I think that's what it's all about. If you're not if you're not having fun with Bitcoin, then I, I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> oh, I totally agree. Um, and, you know, and obviously it, it kind of has a bit of a philosophical take on it, you know. So um, so let me ask you this before we before we get into it. Um, I, I'd like to. I'd like you to give us your, you know, your rabbit hole story, like, because that, that for, you know, regardless of the other um, material that you've written, that 21 lessons is, I mean, the fact that you chose to, you know, put it with Alice in Wonderland, which I get because we all make the rabbit hole reference, but the way in which that you did it, um, I just find incredible. So I, I think that there's a serious thinker behind the thought. So I, I need to know how, how you got to, to being you here now. Oh well, where to start? <laughs> Thanks for the compliment, first of all, and I'm I'm really glad that people seem to like it, and I hit some sort of nerve with those 21 lessons. Um, and I think the reason for that is that everyone kind of went through a similar process. It's not necessarily the same process because depending on your background, you might approach Bitcoin differently. But you just it feels like an endless hole you fall in. And that's also where the rabbit hole phrase comes from. I, I don't actually know who first came up with it, but um, I know that Jameson Lopp has a famous tweet where he says, nobody has found the bottom of the rabbit hole yet. And also, yeah, shout out to Marty Benz and Matt O'Dell from Tales from the Crypt, which do the uh, rabbit hole recap. And so it, it became a meme and I actually, Added the Alice in Wonderland uh, stuff after I wrote the whole piece. So the 21 lessons started actually as as a response to a tweet, <laughs> and I tried to pack everything I've learned in a, in a single tweet, and that was just impossible. And <laughs> then I tried to do it in a tweet storm, and that was impossible as well. And then I started um, putting what I had into a medium article and I quickly realized, okay, that won't be one medium article. It, it will be multiple articles. <laughs> and that's how I ended up with three medium articles, uh, which were called, um, what I've, what I've learned from falling down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. And, uh, that was the subtitle of all of them. And, uh, I read it, those articles and split them up and put, put them on 21lessons.com. And that's where I am now. And I, I plan to work on it a bit more in the future. So let's, let's see where this goes. <laughs> it kind of <laughs> took a life on it, uh, of its own. But, um, yeah, there is also an audio version now. So shout out as well to guys one from the crypto economy, crypto economy podcast, who was kind enough to read that and lend his awesome soothing voice <laughs> to the 21 lessons. He's, um, yeah, he's a, an amazing speaker and reads a lot of Bitcoin stuff. And I'm very humbled that he read my stuff too. And I was allowed to use that. 
And yeah, that's the that's the short story for the 21 lessons, but I didn't really talk about me, did I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I, I, I just want to add, before you do talk about you a bit, um, I, I want to, I just want to add for, for Guy Swan, I listened to that as well. Um, and it, it definitely, I, I, I really appreciate the audio version uh, that, that he did. He totally, yeah, like, he, uh, he's a blessing for the yeah. space because I, I listen to like most of the stuff I consume, I consume with audio. I listen to a lot of podcasts and I also use text to speech a lot actually. And uh, Guy is just amazing because he also does an excellent curation of what to read and then he, he reads it really well. And um, yeah, again, he's a blessing to the space and everyone should support him in any way possible. Oh yeah, definitely agreed. So shout out to Guy Swan. You know what? We'll uh, we'll put a link to his podcast in this uh, in this as well with uh, you know with the material from uh, uh, from your website. But uh, so let's go back to uh, before the uh, you know before you wrote the uh, you know before you wrote twenty one lessons. <laughs> My uh, rabbit hole story. <laughs> that's it. Your rabbit hole story. So before Bitcoin, before Bitcoin, there was there was Gigi and like how did he get the Bitcoin? <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. Looking back, it kind of. It almost seems like a straight path. And I, I kick myself daily for um, not realizing what Bitcoin is earlier. So I studied computer science and I'm into computers and computer science since forever, basically. But uh, so my dad worked with computers as well. And I I just grew up around computers. And, you know, in, in the early 90s, I... Uh, me and my friends, we always just built computers and uh, did a lot of LAN parties. And I, I was big into gaming. And if you if you were trying to get a LAN party going in the early 90s, like 93, 94, when like Warcraft 1 and Warcraft 2 was a thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that, that's really something, you know. I mean, you, you basically had to um, set everything up by hand and also just connect, for example, the token ring networks um, correctly. And if you are missing an end piece or you have some static in your body and you touch a networking card, the whole network is fried. And so fun times, that's that's where <laughs> with <laughs> what I did when I was younger. And uh, I ended um, I yeah, I ended up studying computer science and um, worked in software for the last 10 plus years and I was in research for a while. So I, I was a researcher for the semantic web and did some, you know, I, I did the stuff on the academic side that Google is now doing in real life. <laughs> like they're building a knowledge graph and teaching computers how to uh, understand the world. And I, I worked on the theoretical part of that for a bit, um, like knowledge reasoning and stuff. So I have somewhat of an academic background, which obviously helps in crypto as well, because you, you can quickly tell by just looking at white papers and reading through it if it's if it's bullshit or not, or if it's actually if there's something there. And um, as I said before, I'm kicking myself daily because some of my <laughs> research friends in I think it was like 2014 or so they they were already building shit coins, you know, and they were into crypto <laughs> already. And I was just laughing at them all the time because I, I just thought it's so stupid and it's stupid internet money and it's uh, it will never work. <laughs> and, oh, and man. yeah. You know, the, the usual, the usual arguments, just wait until the government comes and shuts it down and so on. And it took me many, um, yeah, many attempted falls into the rabbit hole until I, I really fell in. Like it, it took me, I think, three or four touches with Bitcoin until I, I had a deeper look. And um, yeah, it, it, it was just... It's this. It's the same story that you that you hear from from many different people. Then another friend came and he he told me about Bitcoin, and then some of my friends got fucked by Mt. Gox, and I was like, okay, that's really interesting. That's that's a completely <laughs> different set of people, you know, no computer scientists at all. They were just into speculation and trying to get rich quick. And um, yeah, that's. I think it was around 2015 when I when I really had a the first closer look, but still not really a more serious look. And it took me a while to um, get my skin in the game and uh, really take this thing seriously. And that was also the main motivation then um, after I 
yeah, sort of. I, I ended up becoming a Bitcoin maximalist. Uh, I had my shitcoin face as well. Nice. <laughs> and, uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not ashamed to, to <laughs> say that. And I, I said that publicly before cool. I, I was into Ethereum for like well over a year. Um, and um, I, I was just, you know, enthralled by the promise of unstoppable code and the world computer and so on and so forth. And, uh, <laughs> you know, now, now it's different. Now there's a, now there are different talking points in the Ethereum camp, but it used to be unstoppable code. And, uh, as we all have seen, <laughs> the code wasn't unstoppable after all. So if the right people come together and decide to stop the code, then that's perfectly possible in the Ethereum world. And I don't think it's possible in the Bitcoin world, at least not as easily. And understanding Bitcoin taught me a lot of things. And I just wanted to share that with a wider audience and also try to put it in a format that's, yeah, that's not technical. Let's put it that way. That's uh, theoretically, if you're really interested in it, you can understand it without having studied anything. So that was my main motivation. I, I, I definitely think you, uh, you achieved that. Um, so you mentioned something just before about how, like, you know, during your journey, you know, the, the people that initially got you touching Bitcoin were, you know, computer scientists, researchers and the such. Um, but then you saw what happened with, you know, with Mt. Gox and that it was, you know, more speculators and stuff like that. And then, of course, as as we all know, there's also the other side of, you know, of Bitcoin, which is, you know, people using it for things that, you know, require less friction, we'll say. You know, or the least friction possible. So we have all these different types of people like coming to Bitcoin. It's it's very interesting. Like I I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm sure you've you've picked up on this, and I believe that based on your your writings, um, you you have a philosophical standpoint of Bitcoin. Like it it seems to touch people in different ways. What what do you you know What do you think about that? Yeah, I think uh, you're absolutely right. I think there are many, many ways that can lead you to Bitcoin. And as, as far as I can t tell, the, the big groups are technologists that are just interested in internet stuff and distributed systems and, uh, and things like that. And those tend to also be interested in Ethereum and other projects as far as I can tell, because it's just, you know, from a, from a pure tech perspective without thinking about economics or anything else that might look interesting. And the other side would be the finance guys. And we have a, a nice overlap. You can see that clearly on Twitter, you have uh, Bitcoin Twitter and crypto Twitter, and you have also finance Twitter and you know, all the gold bucks and all the, um, yeah, also speculators and traders, but also just old school Austrian economists that discover Bitcoin and they, they immediately realize, okay, this is it, you know? Um, I, I mean, uh, guys like Pitstein, uh, like, uh, Michael Goldstein and Pierre Rochard, and they just, they, they, um, read like 15 books of the Mises Institute before they discovered Bitcoin. And when they discovered Bitcoin, they were like, okay, yeah, that's obviously the soundest money we ever had. And uh, that's why it's valuable for them, for them. And you have other people like, for example, Peter McCormick is a nice example. He had to use Bitcoin to get medicine for his mom. And I think there are many people that stumble into Bitcoin out of necessity because you need to transfer, uh, money out of your failing country, for example, or you need to get some substance that is illegal in your jurisdiction. And again, I, I think many roads lead to Bitcoin. For me, as, as you correctly said, um, the philosophical questions and thus also the, the implications it brings with it are the most interesting things. And I had a huge interest in that already, but not related to Bitcoin, but related to the internet. I think the internet changed society completely. And I think it's super fascinating. And um, I think it's also obvious now in hindsight, but there were people in the 70s and 80s already that kind of predicted that. And we now have the same thing with cypherpunks predicting um, anonymous payment systems and digital cash and so on and so forth. And now we have that. And they already thought about societal implications of that. And I think it's fascinating to just think about that a little bit further and how a future could look like and how society could change in a world where Bitcoin isn't only a thing, but also it's as widely used as the internet is now. Okay. So let's, yeah, let's go there. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> um, so let me ask you this. Have you ever seen the movie Ready Player One? 
Oh, I have. Yeah, <laughs> I, I even have. I even have read the book. <laughs> oh, awesome. Okay, so I mean, like you, you know, like I, I'm sure. You know, don't get me wrong. Like when I saw that movie, especially being into Bitcoin, like I, I pretty much got like goosebumps. You know, like because that's like that. That's exactly. Yeah. And I'm not even a gamer, but you don't even need to be. Like you just you see what the future, you know, yeah, can and, be. And- no, that future is already here. I mean, we have we have a real world version of that now with Satoshi's treasure, and that's I, I think those are exactly the the things um, that that I find most interesting because that's something you just wouldn't be able to do with with regular cash or with anything else. Um, it, it just wouldn't work, you know. And um, other other things like Satoshi's place or um, you know, selling selling art for the lowest bidder, which was like the value of a grain of, uh, a grain of sand. Uh, that's that's really fascinating to me. And if you think about what could work in the future, it's it's really fascinating. I mean, we all kind of know now what we can do with the internet. Even though I think that the internet is still quite young, and we will be continually surprised how people figure out what what services to provide on on the internet and I mean, just look at what Amazon did and uh, what what Google did and is doing. Uh, Twenty years ago, that was just an, an utopia, almost. You know, nobody would have thought that that it would go this way, or not that fast, at least. I I, I think. And if you <laughs> stay in the Bitcoin world, it's it's just insane. If you have people like Andreas Antonopoulos now talk about streaming money and that's a real thing. I mean, it kind of exists now. It, it doesn't work perfectly yet and there's still a lot of work to be done, but just imagine what you can do with a concept like streaming money and what you can do with autonomous vehicles and autonomous drones and just also autonomous bots online, like software bots um, that have a salary and they, they get paid and they host themselves and they spend the money wisely or not. If they don't spend it wisely, they go bankrupt and uh, it will be a bad bot. <laughs> but if it's a good <laughs> bot, it will, you know, it will get upvotes and it will get some money and it can do its thing. And uh, it's it's a weird world, but I, I would argue it's not, not weirder than the world we are already living in because, you know, we haven't met, met each other yet. We know each other from Twitter. Uh, I mean... <laughs> We don't even know our real names, you know, and uh, <laughs> and now we're talking about crazy things. And uh, yeah, I don't know how many people will listen to this, but uh, it, it's basically the potential is that hundreds of thousands of people will listen to this conversation over the next couple of years. And that's kind of insane, you know, just like the smartphone in your in your pocket is completely insane and what you can do with it. And for <laughs> me... Um, for me, the main reason to be hyper bullish on Bitcoin is that I lived through the rise of the internet and saw how quickly things can change in a very, very short period of time. And it's not only the internet, it's also mobile computing. I mean, the smartphone market is, didn't exist 15 years ago, you know, and yes. look where we are now. And it's so insane, you know, it's so insane. Everyone takes for granted now that you have a thin piece of glass in your, in your pocket and can do pretty much everything with it you can run a company with it you can you can do everything you want with it pretty much <laughs> and i think um, a, a similar transformation even more radical will happen in the next um, maybe not even 10 years I, I i have no idea how long it will take but i think when people on bitcoin twitter talk about the next 30 years or 50 years or so i think they underestimate the potential of exponential technologies i think uh, just oh, look I at agree. the halvings. Next next year, uh, we'll have the next halving, and then it will be four years for the next one, and uh, again, four years for that. So my time horizon will be nine years from today. And I think in nine years, in the next nine years, things will be so crazy, you can't even imagine. I, I think the, the bull run, which I think we are already in now, um, will be so crazy, it will pop people's heads off. I, mean, <laughs> I totally agree. <laughs> it will be insane. It will be fun to watch though. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, um, I, I want to, uh, I want to go back to, uh, um, to something that, uh, that, that you said before when you were talking about, you know, um, Andreas Antonopoulos and, you know, like how, you know, how weird, you know, how weird it can be. Um, there's actually two things I, I want to go back to. It's that. And, and also another, another piece, 
about the uh, the technology changing, but the first part is for that um, for things getting weird. I I think like um, you know like what I was saying to you before, right? Like it, it's like the times themselves are getting weirder. Like you, you know, like the the things that and you know the things that were fringe in in the like in the nineties are are today like almost considered cool like if you think about it you know like i remember growing up like as a kid like in the 90s if you got your earlobes stretched or something like that <laughs> like that was like out there but today that's like that it's way more accepted yeah. like that that's like a normal thing they don't even know why they're stretching their earlobes they don't even know where that <laughs> comes from the the symbolism of stretching your ears or doing any of those piercings so <laughs> yeah. so i i think like we're you know the fringe is becoming the norm what what do you what yeah. do you what's your take? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not too long ago, um, having tattoos was out there, you know. <laughs> and, <laughs> like my, my grandma wouldn't have approved, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's really weird. I I kind of like it because um, to yeah, I don't know. As I said, I, I was always in computers, but I I kind of was lucky because I'm I'm living somewhat of a double life. I'm I'm a full-on nerd and I study computer science, uh, as I said. But I'm I'm also a skateboarder and I started skateboarding when I was like three years old. So I've been a skateboarder all my life and I've I've been windsurfing and doing other other stuff. And uh, so I have like two sets of people, the ones that know me as the computer guy and the other ones that know me as the skateboarder kind of guy. And most people don't know that I, I'm having an, another life. And I see that all over the place now. Uh, if you look at, um, if you look at, at internet task force conferences, for example, and pictures of that, if you look at the history of how the internet evolved, all of the guys, they were really weird looking, you know, they were like <laughs> their own kind of people. And, oh yeah. <laughs> You know, it, it was really like basement dwellers and neck beards all over the place. And if you contrast that uh, now to, to the high tech sector and people working in tech, most of them are uh, kind of normal people. You know what I mean? You, 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 you couldn't really tell. Uh, 30 years ago or so, you, you could absolutely tell. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> in, the, in the software world, at least. And um, yeah, uh, um, I was having a, a, a chat with... Uh, Matt Odell and Alex Smetsky yesterday, and uh, uh, I think it, I think it was Alex that, that said, I, I don't remember, I might have that mixed up, but you know, um, uh, someone's girlfriend said, uh, uh, saw a video of a Bitcoin conference or something, and there there was um, someone presenting some really high tech stuff about I don't know maybe Bitcoin script language or something, and she was like, hey, that guy's actually good good looking. I I didn't even know that this existed you know <laughs> so <laughs> i think you're right that the, the the fringe is becoming more mainstream and also more mainstream quote-unquote people and more normal people just um yeah get involved with all these quote-unquote weird things the you know the weird bitcoin world and the weird internet world and internet protocols world and now we have bitcoin and lightning and lightning is kind of cool and young people are building lightning apps and working on the protocol even and uh, they're just regular people trying to do their thing and make the internet payment world a, a better place uh, i would say oh, i totally agree and actually um uh i, I want to go back to something you said it's interesting because i i also grew up similarly in that way uh skateboarding and snowboarding and uh, because we we don't really have surfing in Canada, uh, well maybe in British Columbia, but I grew up in uh, in Montreal, so there was no surfing. Um, so yeah, snowboarding and skateboarding, and then like in like when I got to like eighteen, I, I went into network administration. So the I, I became that like computer person, not nearly as as like uh, good as you in computers in that sense. Um, but I became that computer person on one side and the, you know, the skateboarding, snowboarding person on the other. So it's interesting because it, it, I, I find it um, that they're both um, like solo sports. You're, you're always in competition with yourself. You know, like yeah. when I would sit there and work on a project, like, you, you know, it's like I'm not competing with anybody else. I'm trying to see if I can get this done. So it's. Yeah, it, it's um, I think it's like a certain type of personality, like uh, very self-driven. Yeah, I agree. I, I, a lot of um, a lot of p 
people who work in this space are also a lot of people who study computer science that I know also do climbing, for example, which is, uh, again, similar idea. You, yes. The, your, your biggest enemy is yourself and you're trying to, to solve problems in a way. And the only one who stands in between you and the solution of the problem is yourself. <laughs> and that that's, yeah, it's the same thing with programming. I mean, that's, that's how it is. <laughs> it's so true. And it's interesting that you bring up climbing and mountaineering um, because that is like, um, especially when it comes to uh, mindfulness and, and stuff like that. And in terms of self-challenge, it, it um, that is one of those, activities that that always gets brought up you know like you you have like these fantastic thinkers and you go read what their pastimes are and for some reason you know mountaineering and climbing always pop up <laughs> yeah it's it's yeah. also a, a very nice way to clear your head i mean if if you're hanging on a 50 foot high wall and <laughs> <laughs> you know trying you to think. overhang then you, your your mind will be very very clear in a way so. <laughs> you're going to be focused a, yeah yeah it's a kind of meditation as well forceful meditation <laughs> so um i also want to go back to uh so okay i i don't know i don't know how old you are but uh, i'm a child of the 80s i was born in 1979 and this is going back to a comment you just made about you know like about seeing tech as you grew up like you know when we grew up you know the biggest tech we had in a classroom was a calculator and you weren't allowed to have a calculator. Like I, I remember like when I came into school, we were still at that point where there was, you know, one classroom that had one to three computers. And like, yeah. if, if you were really good, you could get time on that computer, <laughs> you know? So like, yeah. it's like, and, and think about it, right? Like you talked about the smartphone and like how people, yeah, yeah sure. You know, people, it's not a long time at all. <laughs> it's not like it's it's like no time. Like I remember seeing my I, I remember seeing, you know, my uncle pull out like his first cell phone that was, you know, the size of a keyboard. Yeah. You know, it's like that's <laughs> I, I mean, people don't really get the exponential growth. So I, I mean, I guess like um, are, are you a child of the 80s or a little bit earlier? Yeah, we're, a we're about I, I'm a little bit younger than you, but we're about the same age. And I I saw the same development than you did. And uh, it's even even worse in a way <laughs> because you know i'm from austria and austria is like 20 years behind in terms of tech development most most of the time and so all we had in our school was typewriters to learn the uh, proper writing style to use all 10 fingers uh, to be prepared then for oh, for wow. the the, the real world where you might get a computer and then then it's of good use you know so i i learned typing properly on on typewriters when i was i don't know maybe like nine years old or ten years old we started really early but we we only had typewriters and it, it was the same thing with the calculators you mentioned it it's it's funny how that changed right like you were just not allowed to use it at all and also when i start start studying on university i don't know if that changed but um, you were not allowed to use um, Google or the internet for research, really, or cite Wikipedia. I mean, citing Wikipedia is, you, you actually shouldn't really do that, but it's, <laughs> the internet is actually a really good research tool. And it's insane that on universities, at least when I studied there, uh, which uh, it's quite a while ago, but, but still they, they were like, don't use that. You have to go to the library and you have to get the books and you have to do all of that quote unquote properly and so on and so forth. And I, I feel like history just keeps repeating itself in a way, or it, it, it at least rhymes, as they say, because now um, some of my friends, for example, they are uh, outraged that um, children aren't learning to write properly anymore. Like, yeah. you know, the cursive writing style. And uh, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of get where you're coming from because I like, I mean, I'm in the same generation and I like writing and I, I learned writing in the same way that, uh, everyone else did but you know who's gonna write anymore i mean everyone's using smartphones and keyboards and so on and so forth so it's it's kind of like a, uh yeah it, it will be a lost art soon <laughs> and just like i can't do stenography anymore for example and my grandma was forced to learn that um it the old things will just die out and to bring it back to bitcoin i think i mean we're now 10 years in and the the generation that's 
is going to grow up with Bitcoin or is already growing up in a world where Bitcoin exists, I, I don't think they will use money in the same way that we did. And even if it's not Bitcoin, I mean, they all play Fortnite and they use V-Bucks and they know that digital money exists and uh, they will kind yes. of demand something that works in that way. You just like, we are not sending letters. Our generation is not really sending letters anymore. You, you send emails and, and IMs and other, other stuff. And I think younger people just will not send money in the conventional way anymore. They will just demand it to be digital and instant and so on and so forth. And Andreas talks about that a lot way more eloquently than I could, ever could, but I think it's profoundly true. Yeah, I, I definitely, uh, I definitely agree with that. And I just want to touch back on a point you just made. So, you know, like everybody's used to already playing games and, you know, there's Farmville and, you know, like there's, there's all these different, unfortunately, you know, these garbage currencies and whatnot. But I, I think that because the new generation, so first of all, they're, they're, um, I shouldn't even call them a like really new generation, but like, let's say, you know, everybody, I guess like 20 and younger, you know, these people are growing up in this age and for some reason they seem to be less the type that are like collectors in the sense of like, you know, housing and boats and stuff like that. Like this is more like old school. It's like they have, it's not that they have less, but they want to live differently. And as a result, if you're living differently, you, you, you know, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to accumulate wealth or anything like that, the easiest way to do it is digitally and that you can carry it everywhere. So there's like, I think there's different qualities of that digital wealth. And I think that that's what we're going to end up seeing is that, you know, as more people get, you know, quote unquote, digitized, they're, you know, they're going to, they're going to want the the highest quality of, of digital, you know, of digital store of value that can be that can be had. And, and this is where Bitcoin comes in. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I kind of experienced this firsthand. So I, in the last, I don't know, 20 years or so, I, 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 I felt how my life became more and more digital in a way. And I, like most of my life is in cyberspace and not in meat space. And I think, um, the only thing that really didn't exist purely in cyberspace was value. But for example, all my memorabilia or most of them, like pictures and videos and other, th other stuff. I mean, I have plenty of screenshots, for example, that are just dear to me because they are like almost 20 years old. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> land party screenshots and also photographs and oh, for sure. Uh, it, it, it's just not, um, I mean, I don't see the point in, in having all of that in a physical form, if I can have it digitally, because I, I will look at it um, no matter if it's digital or physical. And some people, they kind of have a very romanticized idea of the physical stuff, also with books, for example. And don't get me wrong, I, I really love books and I also love physical books. And I also love physical photograph uh, photographs. I mean, I'm into photo photography and I, um, I do printouts from time to time and it, it is it is different if you have it in your hands or if you just have it digitally but you know in the last couple of years i moved like five or six times and in the last 10 years i got rid of almost all of my belongings twice because just it's it's easier that way you know i i i traveled a lot and i was just like okay that's it i'm selling all my stuff and um, yeah, I'm just moving to the digital realm in a way and <laughs> digitizing everything. And I think that will become more and more normal. I mean, uh, many people that will hear that think, okay, this guy's crazy and uh, I would never do that. But it's, um, it's very convenient also if you do it in, in the right way. And what you said, um, they will flock to the, to the best store of value in a way. I agree that this, this is true for not only for value, but also you maybe you don't want to store all your documents on one provider for example and upload them to facebook because if something happens to facebook or what have you then all your stuff is gone so you need to do it in a way that's self-sovereign and i think understanding that and uh, realizing that is is very important and very helpful and i think yeah as madodell says all the time people need to get burned to learn so if you have a bunch of important data and you you lose it because i don't know dropbox goes out of business or something then you will learn i, I really like the saying you know there there are only two types of people in the world those who who make backups regularly and those who will make backups regularly <laughs> so. 
It's so true. <laughs> it's, it sums it up. <laughs> it, it is absolutely true. Um, and, and it really does only take getting burnt. I, I think anyways, it only takes uh, getting burnt once. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, if, you, if you're smart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know if you're I, I, I wouldn't. Do, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's if it's smart or dumb. But if, you, if you're a quick learner, then maybe getting burned once is enough. But some people, I think uh, also, if you look at the shitcoin space, uh, it seems that some people just need to get burned like over and over and over again by shitcoins. Oh, and then maybe they will come back to to something that's that's real and has real value. <laughs> It, it's absolutely brutal. It, it really is. And, and you just keep seeing the same stories coming out, you know, again and again. And you don't understand how. It's like, if none of this worked before, why is it working now? It's not. Yeah, yeah I think that's also why a lot of the maximalists are so toxic. Because they have just experienced it firsthand, most of them. And not only once, but multiple times. And it's just the same arguments and the same selling points and the same scams all over again all the time. And, uh, but it's, it's difficult to handle because, um, I, I really like what you said in, in one of your previous podcasts. You said everybody is a noob at some point. And I totally agree. I mean, no, nobody, nobody knows anything <laughs> about the space <laughs> from day one. And you, you, you are you simply are a noob at some point and oh, you yeah. have to learn. And, uh, it, it just gets annoying if, um, if, if people don't really want to learn or are willfully ignorant and also what, I think really drives most of the maximalists nuts is um, that some scammers also just stay willfully ignorant and uh, don't believe that their thing is a scam, for example, or even worse, they know when they are outright lying and lying to people and scamming people. And uh, I, I totally get the toxicity. And I think uh, also as, as Bitcoiners, we, we should kind of embrace it. I mean, there, there, but there is a fine line uh, between having a healthy immune system and having an autoimmune disease. <laughs> so so <laughs> it's a delicate balance. It is It is a delicate balance. And, and you know what? I'm obviously biased, but I, I always feel that, that Bitcoin is being attacked. Like, I don't feel that we're going out and actively telling people that shitcoins are garbage. We're having to go out and say that because they're trying to pretend that they're better than Bitcoin. Like, it's like Bitcoin doesn't make its use case by saying, hey, I'm better than ETH. That's my use case. Like, it's like, but that's part of theirs. You know, it's like, that's that's yeah, a lot of shit coins. It's like, you know, we do transactions faster. It's like, faster than what? You know, yeah. like, it's just, I, I don't know. I, I always feel like, and that's, I and to your point, I think that that's why Bitcoiners become so toxic because you're, you're not sitting there like, if they would sit there and actually... Um, uh, maybe shill their pro their project on its on its actual um, virtues, Re you know, not competition wise, but simply, hey, this is what we do, and we think we do it better. Maybe it wouldn't be so adversarial, but they're they're constantly thinking that they need to be better when they don't realize that it's just a side project. We're still we're still trying to get money right. You're you're like it's yeah. like it's like they're all the way on some other on like you know what I mean like they're it's like you know what it is I uh, one of the guys that I work with said, made this kind of analogy it's like you're building an airplane in the sky <laughs> you know like that, yeah that's, that's not that's gonna a, happen that's a great way to put it yeah <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, yeah I I also heard people describing it as like building skyscrapers on top of skyscrapers and, exactly uh, that, that's kind of how how they are trying to go about it but I think that most of the people really miss the um, biggest innovation which uh, as you said is getting money right and I think a lot of the projects just simply ignore their money as uh, money aspect at all and ignore the monetary and economic aspect completely and i think that's that's the biggest innovation and that's also why i think it took me such a long time to grasp uh bitcoin and wrap my head around everything because i have no training at all in economics and i i had also no interest in it, in it at all and i just looked at it from a purely technical perspective and i think that's simply wrong it's not purely a technical thing it's most of all a monetary phenomenon. And um, I think a lot of shitcoiners just don't get that. And you can build the most amazing technology 
um, in, in such a system. If you don't get uh, monetary policies and the monetary aspect of the system right, then you, you just, yeah, you, you lost from, <laughs> from the first second. Uh, it, it, it will never work because the whole incentive structure and the, the monetary part and the economic part is, is, the, the, it's it's what makes everything work. <laughs> oh, yeah. And if if your token doesn't have any value or can't keep value, and if you can't convince the masses that this thing has value, then your project will die. And I think since we have a token that has value, we have Satoshi's, pretty much everything you can think of from the technical perspective can be built up on this token. And you don't need a separate token. You will revert back to a to a shitcoin barter economy and uh, you don't need that. We have money now and we have the best money that ever existed. And uh, I, I urge everyone to just build up on that and don't try to reinvent the wheel and, and think you're having a better wheel because it's not round. It has like 15 sides. <laughs> <laughs> speaking, speaking of reinventing the wheel and shitcoins, um, we're going to uh, obviously have to give a tribute to the biggest shitcoin that's coming, uh, Libra coin. Um, <laughs> So, uh, t I mean, so, okay. I, I mean, obviously, I, I, I think, I, I mean, you're probably, I, I feel like you'd be in the same camp as me. I, I obviously don't see it as any kind of competition to Bitcoin because I completely under, or I shouldn't say I completely, I understand Bitcoin well enough to say <laughs> that something like LibraCoin wouldn't be competition because it's completely different. And I don't even know if we could classify it as a cryptocurrency because even in their white paper, they just classify it as a database. So, <laughs> yeah. um, but besides that, um, I mean, so what do you think? Like I, I'm seeing, you know, a couple of different schools of thought. Some people think it's, uh, you know, it's, it, it's a good thing for Bitcoin because it's going to bring, you know, 2.8 million people. You know, I, I personally think it's going to be 2.8, you know, 2.8 billion, <laughs> 2.8 billion shitcoiners that we instantly have to educate. Yeah. Yeah, but still, but still, it might be good, you know. There, there will be uh, like two point eight billion people that get burned, and maybe some of them stick around and come back to Bitcoin. I don't know. I, I don't know what to think of it. I, I think, um, I think, let's just wait and see. Because for me, it's not clear that it will even launch because uh, the regulators are already up Facebook's ass and. Uh, they, they are having a very, very close look at uh, the consortium and what they are trying to do. For now, all that launched is uh, a weird centralized testnet and a quote-unquote white paper, which, as you said, it, it doesn't have anything to do with cryptocurrency. They just use it as a marketing term. It's it's just a database and they, yeah, they, yeah, they just, I think they went out on a limb and they, they are trying to roll their own money. And I'm not sure if the US and the other powers that be will just look at that and say, hey, yeah, okay, Mark Zuckerberg, what you're trying to do, that's cool, we're cool with it. <laughs> I, I, I don't think that um, it will be smooth sailing for the Facebook coin and for Libra. But uh, it's hard for me to tell if it's positive or negative. I, I see it in that way that um, Honey Badger don't care. You know, everything's kind of positive for Bitcoin. It, it just doesn't really matter. Bitcoin will continue to do its thing. And um, I, my hope is that um, if Libra launches, that a lot of people will have to ask themselves some hard questions. And those are questions that we as Bitcoiners ask ourselves the last couple of years or months or how, however long you are into Bitcoin. It's like, what is money and why does money have value? Why does this thing now have value, even though it has nothing to do with my government shitcoin? Like it's, it, yeah, okay, it's backed, uh, it's backed by a basket of currencies and so on and so forth. But I think just having, even if it's like just 1% of people, if it's 2.5 or 2.8 billion users in the whole Facebook, WhatsApp, Instagram ecosystem, if just like, even if it's below 1%, that, that will be a lot of potential future Bitcoiners. And I think that that can only be good. And some people say, yeah, it may be something like a Trojan horse for Bitcoin. I'm not sure. I I would say, let's see. But in in regards to the plan that they have of having a, a stable coin packed to a um, yeah packed to multiple assets. L let's see how stable it will be in the next ten or fifteen years. Uh, I don't believe in stable coins at all, <laughs> and, 
And Me I think that I think that um, yeah, if you look at the geopolitical landscape and the macroeconomic landscape, I think the next ten years will be very very interesting, and that's completely separate from Bitcoin. And uh, as I said before, my time horizon for Bitcoin is like nine years, something like that. And combine that with everything that's going on in the world, I think it will be very interesting to say the least. And if Libra launches and they have stablecoin, let's see how it per performs versus Bitcoin. I, I don't think it will perform well. Yeah, I really like your take, though, um, because I think it's more objective. I mean, I, I try to be objective. Um, but I, I just have a hard time because, because it's Facebook. Um, <laughs> but, but, but I think you're right. And I like the way that you look at it. Like, let's wait and see. Um, I, I definitely, yeah. you know, I mean, at the very least that that's, you know, that's the best way to look at it, you know? Um, and to your point, they don't really have that much out there right now at all. So, yeah. And don't get me wrong. I don't think this uh, stuff like that should be underestimated because if you look to China, for example, and if you look at uh, what WeChat did, and I think Facebook, in a way, tries to emulate the WeChat playbook, and WeChat just made it very attractive to put real money into the app, and they have their own in-game currency, quote unquote, That's in the apps, right. and and you just use that all the time, and you're in this WeChat ecosystem, and you don't need real money anymore. So basically, in China, what people on a daily basis uses money is WeChat money. And if Facebook managed that, then that's that's a, that's a big deal. But uh, let's see if they manage that. And I think Facebook is kind of in a way dying anyway. I mean, young people don't use Facebook really. Okay, granted they use WhatsApp and Instagram maybe, but uh, Facebook is for old, peop old people and it's, it's kind of dying. It's not hip and cool anymore. And um, it, they, you know, a lot of people are waking up that global surveillance and like the, the not only the surveillance state, but also all the companies like Facebook and Google monitoring everything you do all the time isn't really cool. And I think people are starting to wake up to that. And we have a lot of um, censorship and demonetization and deplatforming going on, on on YouTube and also, also on Twitter, also on Facebook and so on and so forth. And I think that um, more robust and censorship resistant solutions will be more appealing over time, especially if there is something like political uh, or even global unre unrest. And uh, for example, you're trying to set up a meeting to discuss politics and you're not allowed to by Facebook because it's not the politics that Facebook believes in, then I think people will get mad very quickly and use different ser services. Oh, I totally agree. And I mean, they're already doing stuff like that. So I, yeah. I, I think it's just going to get worse, you know, so... Uh... Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely uh, it's definitely a slippery slope, and um, I mean to your point though, you know um, uh, about WeChat, you know people don't even have to leave the ecosystem and they can do everything in it. And Facebook, as as unhip and as uncool as it is, does have a complete platform for doing all of that. So it's like. You know, I mean, it's not to say that a brand can't bring itself back to life. You know, I mean, technically yeah, Apple, you know, technically Apple did that. Um, if you think about it, uh, from yeah. you know, with the uh, with the iPod and and whatnot. But it, yeah. I, I think it might be a lot tougher for Facebook because you know it's it's just software. So yeah. anybody yeah. else can make better software and make a better platform. I think. Yeah, that's true. If and they really I, want. I think I think if if they want to like resurrect themselves, they really have to pivot hard. And I think they're already trying to do that. And they're now telling everyone that, you know, we actually really do care about your privacy and so on and so on and so forth. I mean, I think it's laughable. And if people want to believe that, then they should believe it <laughs> and <laughs> make a deal with the devil. Um, but I, I would urge everyone uh, who is listening to that to just delete Facebook. And while you're at it, just delete Coinbase as well. So that's, that's my, <laughs> my tip for that. And I, I really like, since you said um, Apple resurrected itself, um, I, I think what, what Apple is doing is, is, is really cool since their business model isn't based on surveillance. They have an incentive of, really caring about the privacy of, of their users. And I'm, I'm not an Apple fanboy by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> <laughs> like not at all. I don't like uh, walled gardens, no matter how plated with gold they are. But yeah. <laughs> um, 
it's it's interesting that uh, one of the biggest companies in the world now goes this route and uh, tells governments to fuck off if they uh, come knocking at the door and uh, say, hey, please encrypt this iPhone, uh, like decrypt this iPhone. And Apple is doing some cool things where they now introduce uh, like something like um, temporary identities where when you sign up to a service, they generate a temporary email address for you and it, everything's encrypted by default and only you control the keys and so on and so forth. So I think uh, it's it's going in the right direction. And I also think that a lot of companies are doing awesome things. And if you look at what Casa Hotel is doing and uh, uh, all the notes that are coming out now where you really have self-sovereign ownership of your data and of your uh, in of your coins as well and and of your notes i think that's the way to go and there is also in the non-bitcoin world, world there are some cool solutions i mean you can get a synology for example and just um replicate everything that google is doing for you locally um for yourself on your home box and i think it will be um important that uh, enough people do that and i think a lot of education and a lot of development still needs to be done but i think I see so many positive developments um, that I, I tend to be optimistic. So that's one side effect that Bitcoin had on me. I was really pessimistic for, yeah, <laughs> I don't know when it started, but I, <laughs> I was, I was at, a, at a, a very bad state. And um, Bitcoin made me very optimistic because so many awesome people are working on awesome stuff and are working on, on the right thing, in my opinion. And I think a, a bright future lies ahead. I, I totally agree, and I, and I have to say I felt the same way about uh, being slightly pessimistic prior to Bitcoin. Like Bitcoin raised my hopes again about humanity, because I, I I had pretty much I had pretty much given up, and was you know just doing like dividend reinvestment on boring stocks, <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's it. This is pretty much the best I can hope for because I'm not going to be a trader. You know, and it's, you know, in that sense, and even in terms of technology, I, I had personally, you know, not just the finance side, but even like as a, so when I first got into tech, you know, like I, I actually wrote an article for um, the Hacker Quarterly, the 2600. I don't know if you ever mm -hmm. heard of it. Um, no, I haven't, but, but uh, make sure to send me a link. I, I'd like to read it. Oh, cool. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's an article that I wrote probably like uh, 20... 20 years ago or something um so it's it's about okay cool it's about setting up a free ftp server behind your firewall anyways <laughs> um so like uh but it, you know like the um it, it's like I, I was super passionate and i was all excited you know like about hacking and about networks and stuff like that and then and it's my own fault like i got super bored and like bitcoin got me excited again, you know, like building nodes and, you know, like tinkering with stuff and like trying to solve an issue or trying to create something cool. Like it, it just, it, it um, it, it's like a call to arms, you know, it like, yeah. it, it's like anything you can do. It's like, go and do it, you know, yeah, do it, exactly. you know, go and do it for Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. And I also think there's something like a perfect storm that, that happened in the last couple of years, because you know, all the people like Richard Stallman um, and other free software folks that were very, very paranoid and just told you for the last 20 years or so that every single computer you have is spying on you and every internet connected device is spying on you all the time. And if you if you uh, buy a phone and it has a camera and a microphone, just you can't be sure that it's on all the time and it's spying on you all the time. And all the people were laughing at them, at them, you know, I mean, Richard Stallman had, had a really, in a way, a, a bad reputation, especially in the general public. I mean, nobody in the general public knows them, but <laughs> if you're not into free software, then you kind of, uh, had to laugh at the hippie and it's like, oh yeah, he's a paranoid hippie and he doesn't know what he's talking about. And since Edward Snowden, we know that all of those people, they were right. And I think that <laughs> everyone, everyone who is into technology knows that now. And everyone who is working uh, in in Bitcoin and on Lightning and on, on related things, everyone kind of knows that now. And uh, a lot of smart people are making sure that, um, at least from a technological perspective, we're trying to create a better world where it's not as easily possible to to be surveilled twenty four seven, and we're just putting the user back in control. And I think that's that's very very important. I, I totally agree. 
So um, actually, you know, going along the lines of security, we're actually coming up on an hour, but I feel like uh, I can go on forever with you, dear Gigi. Um, <laughs> tell me, uh, it, what do you think, like, um, are there any narratives that you see going around Bitcoin that's, that may be dangerous to Bitcoin? You know, like, um, I, I know that uh, probably like four, maybe four or five months ago on Twitter, and I'm not... I, I can't name call because I don't recall who actually wrote this, but I, I recall seeing tweets about, you know, talk about getting privacy onto the base layer. And I'm not talking about Schnorr signatures. I don't see Schnorr signatures as an attack. I obviously see it as a benefit. Um, but I, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, people saying that, oh, well, you know, Bitcoin should have privacy at the base layer. But in doing so, it would, you know, it would obfuscate that 21 million cap you know we wouldn't be able to verify that 21 million cap based on you know certain privacy measures so i don't know do you do you see any narratives going around right now that that are seen as dangerous to bitcoin type of stuff like that because i consider that type of stuff dangerous hmm. yeah i mean i mean there are many narratives floating around but in the end i think bitcoin is fine as it is and it, it doesn't really care and it will continue to work but uh what, what you just said with putting privacy on the on the base layer it's obviously you uh, you can't have um the best of both worlds you kind of need to make a trade-off somewhere because you will want to have um perfect auditability and uh something that's not um yeah that's not too complicated that just people and full node operators can make sure that all the transactions are in order and the supply doesn't get inflated. And we saw that in, in Zcash actually, uh, where they had an inflation bug in their shielded pool. And um, yeah, <laughs> Matt talked about it yesterday and, and uh, I think his comment was accurate. The reason why there was no outcry is because nobody's using Zcash basically, you know? And uh, it, I mean, if, that would happen in Bitcoin. That would be kind of catastrophic because one of the main shelling points is the 20, 21 million hard cap. And if, if something's wrong with that, then I think that will be a huge blow to the trust in Bitcoin and in the, um, yeah, in the essence and soul of Bitcoin in a way. And of course you want to have privacy as well, but I, I see so many positive developments there. As you said, uh, Schnorr signatures will, at some level of privacy to the base layer. And I think lightning is just awesome. I mean, you, you, I think, um, I'm, I tend to agree with Pierre Rochard, who says that pretty much all the economic activity will eventually be on lightning. And, um, I agree with that, even if it's not lightning, like it won't be on the base layer. I, I mean, the base layer just doesn't scale. Everyone should know that by now. And I think the base layer is, um, yeah, like the, the container ship. I really love the container ship analogy because it's so perfect in so many ways. And it's, it's not about, um, you know, you can't have the perfect system. You need to make some trade-offs. And one of the trade-offs we have, um, on the base layer is that it's better to have a perfect auditability than perfect privacy. But that doesn't mean that we don't have privacy. I mean, you can use Bitcoin in a private manner if you know what you're doing. Absolutely. And it's, 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 just, it's just a matter of automating that. And I think so many awesome people are working on that. It, it will just be a matter of time, but I think it will go very, very quickly. For example, Bull Bitcoin now has uh, privacy by default. They use uh, Wasabi to coin join everything that comes in and out of the system. And if you just do that as as an exchange or as uh, what whatever you, whatever you're doing, whatever service you're pr providing, um, then that's perfect already. And I think every wallet will have um, privacy features in the future. And I, I hope that people demand it. I think people will demand it, and it will be so easy to implement and use that it, it will just be a no-brainer just like https is now on the internet oh i i totally agree you know i mean and and to your point you know i mean you know if we go back and look at let's say something like the internet you know especially going back to the early 90s and you know the mid 80s i mean you know people didn't really see it for what it was because it was just building on top of layers and the base layer of course tcp ip you know like it, it's like it's all of this is built up on top of it and, yeah. and, and I'm sure we can go back and find people who thought, you know, who found all the shortcomings of it. And yet here we oh, are, yeah. you know, 25 <laughs> years later. 
<laughs> the internet didn't scale at all. Like exactly. it, it never did. You know, it it was always on maximum capacity. It was it was always look, and it still is kind of, you know. <laughs> I, I still I <laughs> do you, you you remember downloading songs? You had fifty six K? You know, like I, I mean I remember downloading a six megabyte song that I waited two hours for. Like yeah, people have I no mean, idea what that's like today. <laughs> Yeah, the the first uh, modems we had were measured in Bauti, you know, and so uh, ninety six hundred. <laughs> I still yeah. remember. Uh, you 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 load you load some text or not even the image, and the text goes in line by line, and the images was like you know you wait five minutes, and it goes in pixel by pixel. So yeah, and then um, it's insane how much the world has changed in in just a couple of years. And and you remember like you know like getting connected right? You had to go and like at at some cases like people most likely listening to this podcast will hopefully not know this pain, but like you actually had to go and choose an interrupt request address. Otherwise, yeah. the modem wouldn't work. Like, it's yeah. like people don't understand like what we used to go through. And back then, it was like yeah, no one's ever going to use this. It's just yeah, for yeah, tinkers exactly. and you know and geeks. Yeah, exactly. So and I I think we are already. F- further ahead in Bitcoin. I think everything is moving way ahead, way, way faster. And I think that uh, you, you, you just see that. Uh, and uh, I think in my in my last uh, lesson, which is called Metaphors for Bitcoin's Future, I, I went into detail there. And it's just um, everything that's built on top on, of other networks feeds on the network effects of the network below. Like, yes. Like electricity took a long time to do, to develop because you had to build the electrical grid and you actually there had was to, no network effect. Yeah, you had to invent things so that uh, you can put electricity to good to good use. But um, and then the same with telephone lines and everything else. Building out the internet since it used telephone lines, well, it it went rather quickly. And now we are in a world where you can launch an app like Snapchat, and I don't know, three months later you have a billion users, <laughs> and and it's uh, I I see such a bright future for for Bitcoin and Lightning uh, because of that reason. Because uh, whenever there is a, a breakthrough, it will just be like wildfire, and everyone will have this new app, and everyone will use, for example, Schnorr and uh, other things that are, are getting developed and. I think um, we are going through the same cycle as we did with, you know, dial-up modems and everything else, but it goes just way, way, way quicker. And I wouldn't be surprised that, uh, as I said, in, in the next nine years or so, uh, everyone would be using Bitcoin without even noticing it, just like everyone is using TCP IP now. And uh, unless you studied this stuff, you have no idea what TCP IP is. Yes, it's it, absolutely. And let's face it, nobody needs to know what it is anymore. Yeah, you know? exactly. except for those of us using it in that way or at that yeah. level. Um, okay, so uh, tell me, are there any um, any new articles or anything that you'd like to share that you're working on or new ideas that you're working on? Obviously not to give too much details, you know, but something you <laughs> yeah, want to I'm, tease I'm, us with? I'm, I'm always uh, working on a, on a bunch of things. Um, and um, yeah, I'm still working on the 21 lessons because I, I have a section at the bottom of each le- lesson, which is called down the rabbit hole. And I'm trying, I'm doing my best to collect, um, interesting and fitting articles and podcast episodes and so on to put below each lesson. And, uh, I also launched bitcoinresources.com a couple of weeks ago, and I'm still working on that as well. It, it, it's, it's related to each other. So the best, uh, articles and books and podcasts and podcast episodes I plan to put, put there. And I, yeah, I work on that like one or two hours every day and I plan to release periodic updates, uh, very soon. And I also, I'm working on two further articles, actually three, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're a busy you know, guy. I, <laughs> yeah, I I really love uh, um, what Brandon Quidham did with the mushroom analogy. And I, I really love um, what Ralph Merkel said uh, about Bitcoin, that it, it is a living organism. And I, I think it's an awesome way to look at it. And I want to write my own take on Bitcoin as a biological organism. I don't know where it will go yet. I have a rough outline, but uh, yeah, and and many ideas. But oh, we're uh, excited I don't know to hear how, it. <laughs> I I don't know how long it will take me to flesh it out. And since you 
um, your previous question was uh, if I see any any narratives as dangerous or if I see anything in the in the future. I'm also working on a, an article. I've been working for that for quite a long time, but I I didn't get around to really write it. I'm just collecting ideas and working on the outline. And uh, this will probably be called How to Kill Bitcoin, a practical guide. And um, that, that should be a fun one as well. <laughs> oh my God. That's that's awesome, actually. You know what? No, because it's true, right? That's like part of being a maximalist is that like, and I'm desperately like trying to let you get back to your life, but I just enjoy talking to you so much. Um, but uh, it's like, that's like part of being a maximalist is that like every day I wake up and I try to destroy Bitcoin and every day I can't. So I go buy more, you know? That's the circle of life of a Bitcoin maximalist. <laughs> it's like, it's the only one where you can't destroy any of the ideas and you're like, all right, I give up today. I'm going to go back to this tomorrow. Um, okay, so... Uh, let me, um, if anybody wants to, uh, to reach out to you, how do they, or actually even before that, it, any final thoughts for the, uh, for the listeners? Hmm. Any final thoughts? Final yeah. thoughts, anything. Like, like, like I said in the beginning, I think the most important thing is to have fun with everything. I mean, uh, since we are on fun with crypto, just, you know, play around with the stuff and l try to look at it from a new perspective. Try to, try to set up some notes. I just set up, a, uh, my second or third Raspberry Pi, uh, with the newest version of Raspberry Blitz. And it's awesome. It's, it's so much fun to just play around with it and, yeah, just have fun and uh, don't don't dismiss it. You will dismiss Bitcoin at your peril. <laughs> oh, I totally agree. Okay, so I'm gonna post a link in the show notes to um, your uh, your website and uh, post a link to your your contact details. And of course, I just um, I want to thank you so much for coming on. I, I and I'd actually love to have you on again. So, Dirgigi, sure, anytime. Thank uh, thanks, you so much. Thanks for having me and. Uh, if someone wants to reach out to me, my DMs are open. I'm there, GG on Twitter, and I'm basically on Twitter all the time. So it's your best bet on catching me there. <laughs> Thank you again. Bye. Thanks. Take care. Bye. I hope everybody enjoyed our interview discussion with Dergigi. I had a really, really great time. Um, I'm going to, like I said, post a link to his website and contact information in the show notes. If you want to reach me, you can find me on Telegram or Twitter, I'm at CoinIcarus. If you want to reach me by email, it's funwithcrypto at protonmail.com. Thank you all for listening and catch you all next time. <laughs>